0: This is the Relic Radio Show, old-time radio entertainment still standing the test of time, from RelicRadio.com.
1: back to the relic radio show thanks for joining me once again for another 60 minutes of radio drama we'll begin with the saint this week hear his episode from july 8th 1951 titled satan's angels after that it's the whistler and search for maxine his story from march 13th 1949
2: Adventures of The Saint, starring Tom Conway. The Saint, based on characters created by Leslie Charteris and known to millions from books, magazines, and motion pictures. The Robin Hood of modern crime now comes transcribed to radio, starring Hollywood's brilliant and talented actor, Tom Conway, as the same. Here you
3: yeah, are, Mr. Templer. Thanks, Julius. Headache any better? Oh, it still feels as if they're building the new 3rd Avenue subway right through my head.
4: Oh, that's too bad.
3: I don't mind the digging so much, but I wish they'd be a little more
4: gentle when they throw the track down. Rather quiet in here tonight, anyway. Yeah, well, it's raining. You know the people, they stay home when it rains. Mm, it was quiet last night, too. Well, then it was nice out. The people, they don't like to go indoors when it's nice out. Oh, I see. Uh-huh. What this business needs is nice, intermediate weather. But who's going to go in proposition, Nature?
3: Mm, I'm glad to see you take the ups and downs of the saloon business philosophically.
4: Mr. Templer, a guy's got no philosophy in him. He's got no business in the saloon business. Besides... I don't mind a couple of quiet nights. It gives me a chance to catch up on the newspapers. And what's the headline there? Oh, it's the same thing. Russia? Yeah, Russia, Russia. That other calamity, you know, the local one.
3: Oh, which? La LaSalle. Oh, that's a former calamity, isn't it, Julius? They're burying LaSalle tomorrow.
4: Well, that's what the cops say.
3: But uh, you don't believe it, huh?
4: Ignorance believes nothing, Mr. Templar, And me, I am ignorant. Oh, then
3: I'll have to change your rating on my little list, Julius. I've mistakenly marked you down as wise. Nah,
4: in many ways ignorant, Mr. Templer. Like, uh, for instance, how do they know? Uh, how do you mean how? Well, for six months, the cops have been hunting high and low for this LaSalle. They got a reservation for him at Sing Sing, you know, private room. And a chair
3: that's equipped with a built-in toaster.
4: Uh-huh, yeah, they're gonna fry him, and believe me, nobody deserved it better. And they finally find this Frenchie LaSalle. You see, he's dead in a river. Three weeks in a river, Mr. Templar. So how do they know? Uh,
3: You mean uh, a man doesn't look like he used to look after three unhealthy weeks in the Hudson? Ah,
4: that's my point. It ain't that I think the cops may be doing it on purpose, but you know, they make sometimes mistakes. Mm, Not very often. But sometimes. And it says in the paper he didn't even have no fingerprints left, you know, three weeks in a river. No, but you forget, he was
3: wearing a ring that LaSalle always wore. The scraps of clothing were definitely established as LaSalle's. And the shoes and... uh, Oh, there were a few other things. Yeah, but... Julius, a scientist can reconstruct the face and body of a man dead almost a million years just from a couple of bleached bones.
4: Who knows? Huh? Well, they say that this is what the fellow looked like a million years ago, but you and me, we're going to tell them no? What a fellow, maybe? Oh, you're a cynic. No, Mr. Teppler, I'm just ignorant. But what's the difference... They say that it's Frenchie LaSalle putting on the tomorrow. So all right. It's Frenchie LaSalle by me, too. <laughs> Good night, Julius. Good night, Mr. Templer. Hey, that headache of yours, you should put it to bed on a rainy night like this.
3: That's exactly what I'm going to do with my headache and with the rest of me, too. <laughs> oh, no, no. All right, all right. Please let the doorbell go back to sleep, can't you? Now, what's all this?
5: You Simon Templar.
3: Yes, but I...
5: Simon Templar,
6: who is known as the Saint?
3: Uh, look here, what is the... We'd uh... like
6: to come in. Come on in, Mabel. I'm right with you, Midge. Oh, well, this is a nice joint. Business must be good.
3: Uh, see here, would you too please explain... So
6: you're the Saint. Uh, Lord... The Saint.
3: Look, I never give autographs, and if I did, it wouldn't be at two in the morning.
5: Oh, we couldn't make it any earlier. The saint. You know, Mitch, he's cute. Uh,
3: Look, who are you two?
5: We're angels.
3: Huh?
5: Angels.
3: Julius was right. I should never have had scotch on top of champagne. So, uh, you're angels?
6: Uh Uh-huh. That's why we couldn't get here any sooner.
3: You mean you had a rough crossing?
6: No, not especially. There's never much traffic at this hour. There isn't, huh? And we didn't have to wait very long for the bus either, did we, Midge? Five minutes.
3: The bus? You mean uh, there's a bus between uh, here and there?
6: Uh Uh-huh. Number 14. You change at Union Square. Of course, the subway's
5: quicker. But Harry doesn't like for us angels to ride the subway so late at night. Harry? Satan, our boss. We call him Harry. (laughs) Mr. Templer, you all right? You tell me. I mean, uh, what are you pinching yourself like that for?
3: Can't you see that I'm trying to wake myself up?
5: Oh, you seem awake enough to me, doesn't he,
6: Mabel? Yeah, but Well, Mr. Campbell, what are you looking so unhappy?
3: Don't angels ever have nightmares?
6: Sure why sometimes I Oh, Midge, Do you know what I think? What, Mabel? I think he thinks we think we're real angels. Oh, Mabel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when will we tell the girls? <laughs> Mr. Templer, honestly, for your own private information, we're positively not real angels. I mean, not the kind that you find in heaven, for instance. No? No, we're Satan's angels. Oh, no. Oh, you've heard of us, of course. Uh,
3: not since the last time I read Dante's Inferno.
5: Don't you like music? Of
3: course I like music, but what on earth... Mr.
5: Templar,
6: Satan's angels. Or, putting it another way, Harry, Satan, and his all-girl orchestra.
3: Oh, for the love of... You're an orchestra. Uh Uh-huh.
5: Tenor sax. Bass tuba.
3: It's a good thing neither of you said the harp. We'd be in for another round of confusion... Uh, look, uh, girls, I'm not feeling very well at the moment, so I wonder if you wouldn't mind continuing this. But,
6: um... Mr. Templar, we have a problem.
3: <sighs> take her to Philsport Town, near. Eh?
5: And after we came all the way across town following our last performance at the Paradise... The just Paradise?
3: Her... Look... Let's not start that stuff again.
5: We need your help. We really do.
3: But I don't know anything about your music. I Oh,
5: we didn't come to see you about our music. No, it's something worse, much worse.
3: What could it be worse?
5: Our second trombone has disappeared. Completely vanished. Oh,
3: it'll turn up in some pawn shop, I'm sure. And if it doesn't, why not uh, all chip in and buy another one? And let me go back to bed, huh?
6: Uh, But it isn't an it. It's a She. Our second trombone, Mary Miller, and she's disappeared.
3: I see. Tell me, have you ever heard of a thriving little institution known as the Missing Persons Bureau?
6: Yeah, we called them. They won't handle
5: it. They said they don't consider Mary missing just because she's been gone one and a half days.
3: Good for them. I'm glad to see they're alert down there.
6: But it isn't like Mary. Not at all. It may be only one and a half days to ordinary people, but to us, it's 14 performances she's been missing. And Mary never missed a performance in all the
5: six months she's been with the band. I see. You must help us. You must. We're frantic. Yes,
3: I was afraid you were.
5: Please, please help us. Uh, Look,
3: ladies, just because a girl trombone player has been missing for 36 hours...
6: 37 now.
3: Okay, okay. I'll tell you what I'll do.
6: Ned, you hear? He's gonna do something. What?
3: Well, if you will get out of here and let me get back to bed and remove myself of this headache, I promise you that first thing tomorrow, I'll visit you at the theater and look into this trombone business.
5: Oh, Ned, isn't he wonderful? It's the paradise,
6: the one on the east side.
3: The paradise? Yes. Our
6: first show is at 2 p.m.
3: I'll be there. Now, good night. Please, good night. And uh, give my love to the rest of the angels. Oh, those two again. All right, all right, all right. Angel. For heaven's sake, girls. I don't look like girls, do I? As a matter of fact, you don't look like anything I've ever seen before. I'm coming in, Saint. Come on, why be different? What's the gun for, ugly? You. Uh, Yes, sir. Nice joint you got here. That's what they all say. Cigarette? Yeah, thanks. It's uh, poisoned, you know. I've been poisoned before. Now, we talk now, huh? You're holding the gun. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you noticed things. I'm here about them tomatoes, Saint. Trombones, tomatoes. Tonight I'm doing a bigger business than Macy's. Them dames, I mean them angels. Keep clear, Saint. Tell them. Don't go looking for no missing dame, Saint. You won't be finding no trouble, you get it? The general drift. You know, uh, I'm beginning to think I know you from somewhere.
7: Yeah, then it's time to stop thinking.
3: The face is familiar, but I can't seem to place the nose. Now I've got it. We'll lose it. That nose was flat the last time I saw it, about a year ago. So you've bought yourself a new schnozzle, Jake. The name's George. Uh, The name's Jake. Jake Florey... You worked for French LaSalle. I'd drop it. Head of his artillery corps. You're clever, Saint, but right now
7: is when you're going to start feeling sorry you wasn't born dumb. Now stand where you are.
3: Now get out of here. Oh, William. Well, that's one way to get rid of a headache. men. Mr. Satan? That's right. My name's Templar. Hey, did you catch a show? As a matter of fact, Mr. Satan, I... We
7: mighted the people today, mighted them, almost as big as that day in Dubuque. <laughs> you hear that applause, bud? Uh-huh, I heard it. Yeah. Well, we'll improve. It's a great little outfit I got here, great bunch of girls. You should have caught us that day in Dubuque. You just should have caught it. Uh,
3: maybe next time. There's uh, something I wanted to talk to you about.
7: Uh-uh. Uh, look, pal, if it's about them payments for those arrangements... I'm not
3: collecting bills. I'm I'm looking for a girl. Ah, oh, So it's
7: like that, eh? Uh, no,
3: it's like this. I understand your second trombone player is missing. Huh? Second trombone? Hey, eh, you're nuts. Uh, this is news to you.
7: Married never miss a performance. Most conscientious girl in a band loves music. The only one in the whole outfit who does.
3: Was she behind her trombone just now? You mean in the show we just now give? That's right. You're the leader, don't you know?
7: Well, uh, sometimes you know Hi. I can't. Get... Huh?
6: Harry, are you decent?
7: Yeah, come in.
6: Harry, I want... Oh, Mr. Templer. Hello
7: there.
6: You did come.
7: I promise is. Uh... Hey, wait a minute, look. How come I don't know about this guy, huh?
6: It hasn't as yet been reported in the racing forum. That's how come. Uh, sure. Mr. Templer, what can we do? Where can we begin?
3: Well, uh, you and Mr. Satan can start the ball game by telling me a few things about the lady.
6: Everything I know...
3: First, did you seem worried about anything these last few days? Mm, nervous, perhaps uh, frightened?
6: It's hard to tell. Huh? Well, Mary's such a quiet girl. I became her roommate when she joined the Angels about six months ago. And even living with her, I never really felt I knew her. I see. Not that I didn't try to know her. I myself am a rather friendly person.
7: Yeah, I'll say you uh, with anybody.
6: Harry, shut up. Of course, Mary was always nice and sweet to everyone and such a perfect little lady and all. But yet... What? Well, every now and then something sort of, well, sort of tough-like seemed to show up in her. Go on, you're
7: nuts.
6: Harry, I want you should butt out. What are you are wrong? And she seemed like she was carrying secrets, Mr. Templer. Deep, sorrowful ones. Of course, I never asked her to elucidate. Not
3: much where was she
6: from well that was one of the secrets every time i asked her she'd make like she didn't hear me but harry you should know me
3: yeah i don't know anything
6: not anything
7: period
3: what did she do before she became one of satan's i don't
7: own? know that either
3: didn't she tell you anything of what she'd been doing before what, what uh, orchestra she'd been playing with for example no i never asked
7: and if i did ask i don't remember and if I asked her, she told me I don't remember that either.
6: If she was a horse, you'd remember. Oh. If she was a horse, you'd even know how many hands high her grandmother was. You'd remember everything. Yeah, 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 remember
7: everything. You see how it is, Pally. Most guys go through life getting nagged by just one of them, but not Harry Satan. And that's how I got to hook up with twenty-two.
6: Oh, go call your bookie.
7: Yeah, you know something? I think I will.
6: Ah, be seeing you, Pally. Remember her name, Harry Satan. So long. He's such a lovable jerk.
3: I'd be a little more inclined to go along with you on that if he were a little less inclined to hiding things.
6: You think he's holding out something about Mary?
3: I'm sure of it. Uh, tell me, did you go through her belongings?
6: Oh, why, I wouldn't dream of such a thing. Besides, she doesn't have very much to go through.
3: Hmm. I'll take a look myself later. Did you take anything with her?
6: Not so much as a toothbrush. Not even a pouch. Powder- <laughs> oh, I
3: was shot! Yes, Mabel. Come on.
5: Oh, Oh, what happened? I, oh, oh, it's Harry. Yeah.
3: Oh, Who see. shot you, Harry? I don't, I, I don't know.
7: I didn't see. It came through the window up there. See? Oh.
6: oh, Harry.
3: Get a doctor, quick.
7: No, no, no doctor. Look, pal, about Mary. Yes. If you don't, if you don't find her, they'll kill
3: her. Who? Why?
7: Look, I know they'll kill her, and I don't know why. But she's a good kid. Only one mistake. Only one mistake she...
3: Oh.
6: <sighs> Harry. Oh, Harry. Oh, Mr. Templar.
4: He's
3: dead. <gasps>
6: Our room is down the middle of the hall, Mr. Templar. this way. I see. Thank you. It's a real cheesy hotel, but even sharing a room, Mary and I could just barely afford to... Oh, here we are. Well, at least the door works. It's... What? <gasps> Mr. Templer, just Look!
3: You haven't been entertaining any tornadoes lately, have you?
6: Well, I never. Who could have done such a thing? Who could have torn our room apart like this?
3: Whoever it is was looking for something, obviously.
6: Looking for some, But what?
3: That is point number one. Point number two is, did he find it? Hello, what's this?
6: Oh, that's Mary's first aid kit. You know, bandages and iodine and heaven knows what else.
3: It's rather professional looking, wouldn't you say? Uh
6: Uh-huh. Mary never went traveling anywhere without it. Why, any time any of us girls cut a fingernail too close or got a little burn from a curly eyeing, there was Mary, making like Florence Nightingale. I see. Harry used to. Poor Harry. He used to say having Mary with the orchestra was like having a doctor in the. You weren't listening.
3: Is uh, this Mary?
6: Uh huh. That's me on the left. Midge took it last month. Oh, look at this room. What on earth could anyone have been looking for in here?
3: I wish I knew, Mabel. But I do know this. Whatever it was, he didn't find it.
6: You can tell? But how?
3: The wallpaper. See how he ripped it off in places? Places that make no sense because there's no possible hiding place behind where the paper was.
6: But so what?
3: It was an act of frustration. Not finding what he was after in any of the probable places he looked. He lost his head and started on the improbable ones.
6: And began to tear down the walls? Oh, I'd like to get my hands on him just for one little minute.
3: So would I. But not because of the wallpaper, for what he did to Harry. Come on, let's get out of here.
6: Yes. This room is just altogether too depressing.
3: Wait a minute, Maple. Is this Mary's trombone?
6: Uh-huh.
3: Well, they come in two pieces, don't they? The sliding part can be slid right off the blowing part and... What
6: is it? Did you find something, Mr. Temple? I'll let
3: you know as soon as I work whatever it is out of... There we are. They've rolled. They're rolled up.
6: Mm.
3: Well, I'll be.
6: X-ray pictures. Now, why would Mary have X-ray pictures rolled up in her trombone?
3: Because she figured, and rightly it seems, that her trombone would be the one place whoever was looking for them wouldn't look.
6: But, but I don't understand. Why should anyone? I'm
3: just as puzzled as you are,
6: Mr. Temple. You could never be. <laughs>
8: Well, of course, I don't know all the registered nurses in town, Mr. Templer, but I do have a large agency and a rather good memory.
3: And uh, the name Mary Miller rings no bells, Mrs.
8: Sawyer, huh? I'm sorry. I'd like to help you. Perhaps one of the other nurses' agencies.
3: Perhaps. Or perhaps Mary Miller was known as something else. Or perhaps she wasn't a nurse at all.
8: Oh. You're not sure, then, that she... Was... Mm-mm.
3: No, I looked into a box and found a hunch.
8: A box?
3: Yes, a first aid kit. One that seemed just a trifle too elaborate for a simple citizen to own.
8: Oh, I see.
3: You're sure that this snapshot doesn't... Uh...
8: Mm, no. Doesn't look like any of the nurses at this age. Hmm. I wonder...
3: Would you mind uh, wondering out loud, please?
8: Of course, her hair was dark. Oh. If I could just see this girl as a brunette.
3: Oh, that's easy. Why go to Antoine's when you have Templar? The picture, please, and uh, that soft pencil. Voila, Mademoiselle is brunette now.
8: Why, it is. It's Mary Webster.
3: You say that name with an exclamation point after it.
8: Several exclamation points. Go on. She was Dr. Burton's nurse. And so? You don't recall Dr. Burton? He was quite notorious.
3: Uh, what did he do? Flunk his cigarette test?
8: He had some rather interesting patients, Mr. Templer. The underworld, hoodlums, and gangsters.
3: huh. and? Uh... And
8: a remarkable, if rather specialized, specialty. Oh, bullets? That's right. Gunshot wounds. Wounds caused by hand grenades, knifings.
3: And he just never bothered to report any of his patients' battle wounds to the police, as um, required by law, huh?
8: That's right, he died in prison shortly after his conviction.
3: And Mary, uh, Miller or Webster, as the case may be?
8: Also sent to prison, but with a light sentence. And, of course, her license was revoked. She had to give up nursing when she got out.
3: And so she became a trombone player and a collector.
8: Oh? What does she collect, Mr. Templer?
3: X-ray pictures, old and rare ones. It sounds like a dull hobby, I admit, but I... I think there's money in it.
9: well, Raymond? Very interesting x-ray plates, Simon. But what am I supposed to do about them?
3: Just uh, tell me about them, Doctor.
9: Simon, I'm a physician employed by the Office of the City Medical Examiner. You know I'm not allowed to give private consultations here.
3: I think this consultation might develop into a rather public one. It's a riddle you're making? I'm trying to make answers, my friend, not riddles. Uh, Very well. They're Pictures of a shin bone, that's all. That's all?
9: Well, a slightly different sort of a shin bone. Now, you see, see right here, this darker portion through here? Mm-hmm. It's a silver plate. The man evidently was in an accident of some sort. Or uh, he was shot? Mm, yes, yes. A bullet would just about break off that amount of bone. Mm-hmm. He might have been shot. Anyhow, his physician replaced the missing bone with a silver plate. That's all. It's done
3: all the time. Have you uh, done any autopsies around here lately on a body with a silver shin bone doctor?
9: No. What are you trying to find out,
3: Simon? What about Frenchy LaSalle?
9: LaSalle? I did that autopsy
3: myself. No silver plates. Then it wasn't LaSalle they buried this morning.
9: What? Simon, are you crazy? That body they dragged out of the river checked up as LaSalle on at least a dozen points.
3: Planted points? The body was dressed up, to give that impression, before it was dumped into the river. Huh? Oh, it's simple enough. Frenchy's body comes out of the river and into a grave. And the, the police close the files on Frenchy. The heat is off, and Salle beats the chair. Yeah, but how do you know? What?
9: That these X-ray pictures show shin
3: Shinbone. Uh, a killer named Jake Florio, who used to be Frenchy's right arm, told me not to go looking for a missing girl named Mary Miller.
9: Mm, Either you have
3: too much imagination or I don't have enough. Well, Mary worked for the doctor who did the operation on this leg. She's probably one of the few living persons who knows that LaSalle has a silver plate to his shin. And she had the x-rays to prove it. So? So if the man buried today in French LaSalle's bad name didn't have a silver plate in his leg... Then this Miller girl had some pretty important information.
9: Why didn't she come to us with it?
3: because she wanted more than to be paid off with a with a thank you. She isn't that good a citizen. You think she tried to shake down LaSalle? Mm-hmm. And I think LaSalle refused to shake. He's probably at this very moment twisting her arm, trying to make her tell where these pictures are. I can see where he'd consider them important. They're the only thing in this world that can prove he's still alive and still a candidate for the electric chair. <laughs>
4: Yes?
5: It's me, Mabel. And me, Midge.
3: Hello, girls. It's always nice to welcome a couple of angels.
5: Mr. Templer, we would like to know what, if anything, you are doing. We insist on knowing.
3: As a matter of fact, I was uh, reading a book.
5: Reading a book? Mr. Templer.
3: It's called In One Head and Out the Other. Very amusing. Full of laughs.
6: You can laugh at a time like this? With poor Mary still among the missing. And poor Harry among the murdered? Well, shouldn't you be out looking?
3: That's exactly what I would be doing if uh, I weren't at home, waiting.
6: Waiting? For what?
3: I expect that at any moment the doorbell will ring and a man named Jake Florio will be among us.
6: For what, may I ask?
3: Uh, Just to kill me.
6: Mr. Templer, at a time like this, you kill you? Mr. Templer, no. Don't let him. Um, I'll,
3: I'll do my best.
6: But, but why should anybody want to kill you?
3: For the same reason he killed Harry Satan. I know too much about Mary Miller. And knowing too much about Mary he's afraid to, might lead me to knowing just enough about French Lasalle.
6: I don't
5: understand you. Uh,
3: it's healthier that way.
5: Mr. Templer, are you sure that this floral person is coming?
3: Uh, not positive, but it figures that he should.
5: But you, shouldn't you do
6: something to protect yourself? I have. <gasps> oh. oh.
3: Get in the other room quick. But but do as I say.
6: All right. Come on, Mabel. I'm coming.
3: Yes.
5: Hologram.
3: Oh, hello Saint. Why, it isn't a telegram at all. It's Jake Florio. And I'll bet you've come to shoot me. Out right inside, Saint. Come on, come on. Uh, anything to oblige a man with a thirty-eight. I-, I warned
7: you not to poke around, Saint. You know what happens to smart guys who can't take a suggestion?
3: <coughs> well, Simon, did I do it as you told me to? The operation is a complete success, Doctor. And now let's bring him back to life for a while so he can tell us where Frenchy LaSalle's hiding.
6: Mr. Temple, are you all right? I'm
3: all right. I'm all right. Uh, doctor, I'd like you to meet a couple of angels. Uh, how do you do?
6: Hello, Gee, Nedge, He's cute. Yeah. <coughs> Why, yes,
3: he is. I've uh, I've never noticed before. Simon. Who is there? Delivery.
7: You got the wrong apartment. I'm not expecting anything.
3: Well, I guess Mr. Florio must have given us the wrong address.
7: Where are you from? The
3: made laboratories. I've got some x-ray pictures here.
7: X-ray pictures? And Florio told you to bring them here.
3: Yeah, but I, I guess I got the wrong address, so I'll just. Uh, be... w-
7: wait a minute, wait. Maybe I ought to take a look at them. All right. Now end in that envelope. You! Say! Hello, here I'm coming in. No, you're not. I would.
3: Have a nice naplace, huh? And stop worrying about those old x-ray pictures. You'll. You'll probably be needing some brand new ones when you wake up. Ah, so this is your room, Miss Miller. <coughs>
10: oh,
3: don't worry, I'll untie you, but. Before I remove the gag from your mouth and give you a chance to talk back,
4: uh, 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 I
3: want you to listen to a little lecture I've prepared concerning the folly of trying to blackmail gangsters. Uh, uh, now, to begin with, when a ruthless killer uh, like French Lassalle
4: uh, uh,
2: have been listening to another transcribed adventure of the saint the Robin Hood of modern crime
3: now here is our star Tom Conway ladies and gentlemen in our cast you heard Sandra Gould as Mabel and Margaret Brayton as Mrs. Sawyer Sheldon Leonard played Julius and Paul Richards Jake Dr. Raymond was Stanley Farrar and Harry Benny Rubin this is Tom Conway inviting you to join us again next week at the same time for another exciting adventure of the Saint. Good night.
2: The script of the Saint was written by Michael Cramer. The Saint, based on characters created by Leslie Chotters, is a James L. Safia production and is directed by Helen Mack. Tom Conway is soon to be seen in Warner Brothers' production of Painting the Clouds with Sunshine. All you Saint fans will be glad to know that The Saint comic books are on sale at all newsstands. Your announcer is Don Stanley. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.
11: The signal oil program. Yes, the signal oil program. The whistler. That whistle is your signal for the signal oil program.
12: Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak.
11: Yes, friends, it's time for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler, rated tops in popularity for a longer period of time than any other West Coast program in radio history. And Signal Gasoline is tops, too, tops in quality. It takes extra quality, you know, to give you extra mileage. And Signal is the famous go-farther gasoline. So look for the signal circle sign in yellow and black that identifies independently operated signal stations from Canada to Mexico. And now the Whistler's strange story, Search for Maxine.
12: For a long time, he'd been standing in the darkened doorway across the street from the Swank Bachelors Club. As Ted Pomeroy struggled to make up his mind, he stared up at the second-floor windows of the building and puffed nervously at a cigarette. It was the last thing he wanted to do, to go to Cousin Walter for a favor. But there was nothing else he could do. Ted was a good newspaper man who'd suffered one bad break after the other through no fault of his own. But he always felt that someday the big opportunity would present itself. Now that opportunity had arrived but he needed capital, and Walter Pomeroy was the only man he knew who had the kind of money he needed. Suddenly, Ted flipped the cigarette into the street and hurried into the bachelor's club. Unnoticed by the desk clerk, he strolled across the lobby, up the stairs to the second floor, and stopped before the door of apartment 206.
0: Come in, come in. I.
1: Uh... Hello, Walter.
0: Well, well, well. Theodore. Cousin
1: Theodore.
0: <laughs> well, come in, come in. You're just in time for dinner. The boy will be up in a minute. Oh, right? No,
1: thanks. I haven't much
0: time. I only stopped in for a
1: minute.
0: Oh, you mean you won't forget bygones to the extent of having dinner with me?
1: Oh, look, let's forget that stuff, shall we? We're grown up now, Walter.
0: Uh, sure. Sure. Uh, sit down. No, I I won't be too long. Okay, sit yourself. Um, how are things on the West's leading newspaper, huh? Fine. You're getting paid regularly? Sure. Well, then what's this visit for? Well,
1: it's this way. A friend of mine, Dan Albee, he's down in Portstown. Now, look. Here, here's a letter I got from him. He's buying a paper. their little country sheet, eight pages, twice a week. Oh. So? So he wants me to go in with him It's just what I've been looking for Walter, the place is growing We can double the circulation in six months And with some of the ideas uh. I have What's the matter? What's so funny? <laughs> you <laughs> How much, Ted? The price is $10,000 i will need half of it
0: 5000 bucks.
1: <laughs> Walter, I'm asking you for a loan You can have the whole plant for security
0: Ah, I'm not interested in newspapers
1: you mean you're not interested in me?
0: Oh, I didn't say that. You're not interested in letting bygones be bygones. And I didn't say that either. I thought we agreed to forget... Oh, I didn't agree to anything. Okay, Walter, okay. That answers my question. <laughs> it's good for a laugh, though.
1: <laughs>
0: I thought you once said you'd never come to me even if you were starving to death. That's
1: enough, Walter. <laughs> You hadn't had a couple of drinks too many.
0: Five thousand bucks, and you thought I just handed it. <laughs> you said enough, Walter, I'd like to. Hey. Or take your hands off me, or I'll. Okay, Walter, you asked for it? Oh.
1: I've owed you that for a long time, Walter. Sure, you're right. I was stupid.
12: Get up, Walter. Walter! <laughs> As you bend over him, you see the ugly gash on his right temple, where his head struck the edge of the fireplace. A cold wave of fear sweeps over you. You stare at him, unable to move, to think. And suddenly you remember the beachhead at Salerno where you saw dead men off him. You grasp Walter's pulse and feel nothing. I've killed him. The realization of what you've done overwhelms you, doesn't it? Slowly you turn, half stumble across the room to the door. Your only thought now is escape. Yes, escape. There's still a chance you can slip away unnoticed, isn't there, Ted? The desk clerk downstairs didn't see you come in. Now, if you can get out of the building without being seen, you'll be in the clear. You place your handkerchief over the knob door and turn it. Before you step out of the hall, you look back to give the room one last look. And then you see it. The telephone receiver is off the hook. Uh,
1: Hello? Walter? Yeah, this is Walter.
10: (laughs) Look, when I want impersonations, I'll go see a floor show. Now, why don't you call your dear cousin Walter and tell him I'm getting tired of holding this telephone?
1: Oh. uh, Who will I say is calling?
10: He knows. I made that pretty clear before you barged into his apartment. Theodore.
1: What what makes you think I barged in?
10: From this end, the dialogue sounded more like a brawl than a tea party. Come on, friend. Put him on.
1: Well, he's not here. He just stepped out.
10: Then let me talk to Bill. Bill? Last name Putnam, Walter's business manager. You're supposed to have dinner there, or is he now administering first aid?
1: He hasn't arrived. Listen, why don't you give me your name and number? Walter already
10: has it. I gave it to him a year ago at a moment of weakness you dinner, Mr. Pomeroy. Hello? Hello, Are you still there?
1: Listen, Walter won't be back. Call him later in the morning. Oh,
10: say, what's going on? Mr. Pomeroy? You in there?
12: Mr. Pomeroy? You tell yourself you haven't a chance. The bellboy out there pounding on the door. The girl on the phone who has heard everything. Who can send you to the chair with a word. What's happened to Walter has changed your entire outlook, hasn't it, Ted? And suddenly the idea occurs to you. Walter must have her telephone number written down somewhere. You know you must get that girl to protect yourself. You search frantically for his telephone list. You find a gun in the top drawer of the desk and put it in your pocket. Then as you hear the bellboy rattling his keys outside, you find what you're looking for. A small brown leather book with some names and numbers in it. Just in time, you jump for the door and slide behind it as it opens. Mr. Pomeroy? Mr. Pomeroy, what's the ma... Holy cow!
13: Larry! Hey, Larry! Larry!
12: The moment he turns the corner, you race for the back stairs two steps at a time and rush out into the alley. The cold air feels good on your face and you hurry away, still unseen and safe. Except for the girl. Yes. The news will be out in a matter of hours on the radio and the papers, and when the girl learns about it, the quarrel she overheard on the telephone will tip her off, and you know she'll go to the police. You can't have that, can you, Ted? I've got to find that girl. Find her. Stop her. <laughs>
11: the prologue of Search for Maxine, the Signal Oil Company, brings you another strange story by the Whistler. Ponce de Leon spent his lifetime looking in vain for a spring whose waters would keep him young. Had he been looking for a prescription to keep cars young, I could have told him where to go, to a Signal service station. Yes, Signal dealers have just what the doctor ordered. Signal premium compounded motor oil for your engine and Signal double-check lubrication for your car's chassis. There are good reasons why Signal Premium compounded motor oil keeps that new car pep in your engine longer. Its 100% pure paraffin base is fortified with scientific new compounds that do so much more than just lubricate. As a result, Signal Premium cleanses your motor of carbon, gum, and varnish, protects bearings against corrosion, and does other important jobs that regular oil alone can't do. And when it comes to chassis care, Signal double-check lubrication is just as superior. Signal dealers use nine specialized lubricants to give each part on your car the exact type of protection it needs for long, trouble-free service. And they check each part not just once, but twice, to make sure not a single part is overlooked. So when it's time for an oil change or a lube job... Remember the place that has what it takes to keep your car young. Your signal service station.
12: She's the only thing standing between you and freedom, isn't she, Ted? The girl who overheard your quarrel with Walter Pomeroy. And when she finds out what's happened at Walter's apartment, you know that she'll notify the police. And you know, too, that you must prevent her from going to the police. You have only little time to find her and silence her. It's going to be difficult locating this girl, isn't it, Ted? You don't know who she is. All you have is a small brown leather book with some names and phone numbers in it. Walter's memo book. A dozen names in it belong to women, and you wonder which one is hers. As you step into a phone booth, you try to hold the sound of the girl's voice in your mind, hoping you'll know it when you hear it again. Hello.
1: Annaline?
10: Yes?
1: This is uh Tom Sherman.
10: Sherman? I, I- I'm sorry. I don't seem to remember. Catalina,
1: we met there last summer.
10: Oh, you must have the wrong Annelie, Mr. Sherman. I haven't been to Catalina in years. Are you sure that you... No dice.
1: Hello? I'd like to speak with Louise. She ain't
11: in. If you're the guy who's been bothering her, let me tell you... (laughs)
1: May I speak with Janice?
12: Sorry, she's not here. She's visiting in the east. Can I help No,
1: thanks.
6: You? I'm sorry, sir. Your party does not answer. You say you're making a survey? Well, my little head isn't much good at Vegas, but I'll surely be glad... You...
10: Hello?
1: Uh, is this Maxine? I was talking to you on the phone a little while ago.
10: Oh, yes, Theodore. You're the fellow who hangs up in people's faces.
1: Sorry, we, we were cut off, Angel. You were so coy about giving me your phone number, I couldn't call you back.
10: Uh-huh. So you went out and bought yourself a crystal ball? No,
1: no, I I just called up every girl in Walter's little book. Ashby 86347 was yours.
10: Why did you do that?
1: Why? Well, Maybe I wanted to see if the girl is as nice as her voice.
10: Uh, how does one blush over the telephone?
1: Look, why uh, why don't you save us both a lot of trouble, honey? Why don't you just tell me where I can meet you? And... Uh-uh.
10: I'd rather keep it this way.
1: I can be pretty persistent.
10: And I can be pretty stubborn. I'm sorry, Theodore. Oh, but... wait
1: a minute. What's the music? Radio?
10: No, it isn't the radio. Now, look, you're a nice boy, I suppose... But I'm really too busy
1: to play games. Won't you at least give me your last name?
10: Some
1: other time. Bye. Maxine,
12: wait! A feeling of panic sweeps over you as you stand there in the telephone booth. And something inside tells you to run. To take the next plane for anywhere. But you struggle against the urge and fight it down. You've been a reporter a long time, haven't you, Ted? Certainly long enough to know what happens to a man who runs. What you must do is coldly clear. You've got to find that girl, Ted. It's the only way. Hey. Yeah?
13: Through the phone?
12: Yeah, go ahead.
13: Hey, thanks. Hate to bother you, but i got to get hold of the little woman. The more I explain to her now, the less I'll have to do when I get home. Boy, they're sure going all out in that parade, ain't they? yeah, yeah. Parade? Excuse me. Sure, what's the matter? What was that you said about a, a parade? Well, like I said, a big parade coming up the street. Crosstown traffic's head up for two hours. Coming by here? Yeah, band's down the street now. Band. that's what I heard over the phone. What?
12: Nothing. Thanks, thanks a lot. Yes, Ted, you notice them now? the crowds lining the curbs outside and down the street coming towards you is the brass band at the head of a parade. The same brass band that you heard over her telephone passing so close by that it almost covered her voice. So you do know something about her, don't you, Ted? That she's someplace not far from the street and the band had passed her at exactly one minute to nine. You remember looking at your watch. It's a chance, isn't it, Ted? A wild one, perhaps, but one that you must take. Excuse me, will you? Uh, mind letting me through? Oh,
6: goodness. If you're going to walk along with the parade, young man, why, don't you get
12: out there? You weren't listening, were you, Ted? You were threading your way along that sidewalk through the crowds for a very definite purpose. And you kept it up for a full block and then looked at your watch again. It took the parade a minute and 20 seconds to cover one block. Figuring it back, that meant they'd covered 13 blocks since passing the girls' telephone. Alvarado Street, Ted, that's where she was. Probably in that big apartment house opposite the Signal Oil Station on the corner.
1: <laughs> apartment 20, Jones. 21, Leibs. Apartment 20...
10: What are you looking for, young man?
1: Why, uh, I was looking for Maxine.
10: Maxine who? Why? Oh, I... There's no Maxine living here. I'd know. I'm the manager. Hey,
1: it's, it's all right. Thanks.
10: Oh, uh, there's a Maxine in the next apartment house. Oh? What number? Kind of funny the way you're snooping around here, trying to find names and apartment numbers. What's this all about?
1: Well, you know how it is. We, we just met an awfully nice uh-huh. kid, but I, I didn't get around to last names.
10: Uh-huh. girlfriend, huh? I, I'd like her to be. Uh huh. In that case, I wouldn't waste my time next door. The Maxine I'm talking about is 72.
12: Your heart sinks, Ted, and you walk away. And the nameplates in the apartments on the rest of the block reveal no more Maxines. You're left with only one more possibility, a residence hotel in the middle of the block. You enter the place and decide to try to call her again, walk past the cigarette counter in the lobby toward a row of phone booths in the rear
0: just a minute, mister. What's the matter? Where are you going?
1: Just want to use the phone.
0: Oh, oh well, go ahead, but make it fast. This here's woman's hotel. House rule against men in the building after 11 on week nights.
1: Oh, I, I'll hurry it up. Thanks.
0: The
12: janitor doesn't notice, does he, Ted? But you're trembling as you fumble for a coin. Dial the girl's number again. Ashby, 86347. Hello, Hello, Maxine.
10: Here we go again. What is it this time, Theodore?
1: I'm still trying to wear you down.
10: Because you like my voice?
1: Right. And another thing. I think you live in the Grayson Arms.
10: You're a remarkable detective. Give up? (laughs) Why should I? I don't live at the Grayson Arms. I live on the other side of town.
1: Wait now. Be honest with me, Maxine.
10: I wish I knew
1: why you're going to all this trouble. I told you, I I like your voice.
12: Oh, sure. Uh, Hold it a
10: minute, will you? Yeah, yeah, I'll
12: be here. Yes, Ted, you'll be there, anxiously waiting and wondering too, won't you, Ted? Wondering if Maxine is lying, playing with you, knowing all the time what it was all about. Feeling of panic returns, doesn't it? You look out of the glass doors of the telephone booth across the marble floor to the cigarette stand by the entrance. Notice a man buying cigarettes from the girl at the counter. He leaves, and another man comes in, and you freeze, your heart standing still. It's the distributor with the early editions of the morning papers. You know what must be in those papers, but you can only stare as you wait for Maxine at the other end of the wire. Hello, Eddie. Hiya.
10: Not ready to fold? Leave the papers on the counter. Nice. Nice.
12: Your mind is paralyzed, isn't it? With nothing sinking in not even as you see the girl at the counter some 30 feet away across the lobby turn and pick up a telephone receiver.
10: Now, let's see. Where
1: were we, Theodore? You were stringing me along about living on the other side of town. Listen, Maxine, you've got to... Got to
10: what? What's the matter, Theodore? You still there? Hello? Hello?
12: Then it hits you, doesn't it? So hard that you almost shake, your hand grabbing the phone, your head tight. The girl you're talking to over the phone is the girl at the cigarette counter across the lobby. Maxine.
10: Hello? Hello, Ted.
12: A trembling, surging relief sweeps over you, all through you. You've found her, haven't you, Ted? At last, you found Maxine. You slump back in the booth, watch Maxine across the lobby. And she keeps trying to talk into the phone, rouse you. And then finally, she hangs up. You tell yourself that you'll wait there in the booth until she leaves and then follow her out. And then she reaches for something that makes you change your mind. You leave the booth and quickly cross the lobby.
1: Wait. Wait a minute. Yes? Uh, too late to sell me a pack of cigarettes?
10: Uh, Afraid so. Just locked up.
1: Not even for an old friend?
10: You're two laps ahead of me.
1: I've been calling you all evening. No. Yeah.
10: So your cousin Theodore. Disappointed? Crushed. I I thought you'd be more like Walter. Oh. Ah. Uh, that's a compliment. Sorry now, I was so stubborn. How'd you find me?
1: Crystal Ball.
10: Oh. <laughs> you ought to get yourself a booth at the county fair.
1: Do you really live across town? Mm
10: hmm worst looking house in the street.
1: Good, then I I can walk you home.
10: My car's outside. It'll hold, too. Let me get my hat and coat. Be back in a minute.
1: Okay.
12: As she moves off, your hand goes to the gun in your pocket. You take it out, check the clip. It's loaded, ready. The car
13: is a real brake, isn't it, Ted?
12: It'll be much safer in the car. Hey. Yeah?
13: Seen the girl who runs the cigarette counter here?
12: Yeah, she's gone home.
13: You Sure.
1: So I'll leave. How long ago? Five minutes, maybe.
13: Hmm. That's funny. Okay, thanks. Sure. A plainclothes detective. He
12: has that look, hasn't he, Ted? And you move after him. Quietly glance through the glass door to see him looking at a car parked out front, and then...
10: Offset, Theodore. The car's right outside. Stay right there. What What are you... That's
12: right, it's
1: a gun. Don't open your mouth or...
10: Visited.
1: Never mind that now. Closet, get in there.
10: And if I won't. I'll kill you. I wonder.
1: He's coming back. You'll find out in two seconds.
10: All right. All right,
13: Ted. Hey, what do you mean she's left? I checked outside and everything. Where'd that guy go? Hey, anybody here?
0: Yeah! What's the matter?
13: Where's the girl who takes care of the cigarette counter?
0: Oh, she's still around
13: here somewhere. The guy just told me she went home. The oh. Car's still outside.
0: Oh, she ain't gone home. Ain't giving me the keys yet for the morning girl. I'd take a look in the back room. Maybe she's getting her hat and on. Come
10: on. Bill Putnam, Walter's business manager. Shut
1: Why up, you... I'll kill you right here. Now get going. Where? Across the street. We're going to take a walk. A nice, quiet walk in the park. We can be alone. And no one will see what's going to happen.
11: The Whistler will return in just a moment with the strange ending to tonight's story. Since Thursday will be St. Patrick's Day, you've no doubt been getting your share of Killarney on today's radio programs. I had thought of describing how your friends would turn green with envy when you power your car with signal gasoline, because today's signal drives the pings and sluggishness out of a motor like St. Patrick drove the snakes out of Ireland. Or I thought of reminding you that your wallet would feel lucky as a four-leaf clover because of signal's good mileage. But sure and big when you buy gasoline, there's really just one thing that matters. You want to be sure that you're getting the tops in quality, the gasoline that helps your motor operate at top efficiency. And that's something you can determine with your own speedometer. After all, when your motor runs more efficiently, you not only enjoy quicker starting, faster pickup, and smoother, knock-free power, but also more mileage. Good reason why we're so proud of Signal's famous mileage. And why, we say, to be sure of the tops in gasoline quality, there are just two things to remember. One, it takes extra quality to go farther. And two, signal is the famous go-farther gasoline.
12: You tell yourself that this is the way it's got to be, don't you, Ted? Yes, from the moment you realized that Maxine could send you to the chair because of the quarrel she heard over the telephone. Your quarrel with Walter. You knew you had to find her and silence her. Now, as you follow her into the park, your hand grips the gun in your pocket. It'll be over quickly, won't it? Simply, coldly, and you'll be away and free. As you reach the protective, shadowy darkness of the park... Maxine stops, turns calmly to face you. There's a look on her face, a look that could haunt you for the rest of your life. And then suddenly you know. You know that, lover or hater, you simply cannot kill her.
1: Get away, Maxine.
12: I'm, I'm not going to do what I can't.
1: Oh, Go on, get away. You hear know what I said? Get away now before I change my mind.
10: No, Ted. Come on. Let, let's sit down here. I think you'd better tell me everything.
13: It's all
12: over, isn't it, Ted? You know that whatever it is that's in a murderer isn't in you. And you can't bring yourself to kill Maxine. Now you sit with her on a park bench. You've told her the whole story.
1: I, I didn't mean to do it, Maxine. I could never hate Walter that much or anyone.
10: I know. Cigarette? Thanks. And now what, Ted?
1: Oh. I'll have to take my medicine. Turn myself in.
10: I'll just find an officer. You won't have to, Ted. Look, coming down the path Bill Putnam. There's a policeman with him.
13: Maxine! Maxine, where the devil have you been? The officer on the beach and I have been looking all over.
10: Oh. Bill, this is Ted Palmroy, Walter's cousin.
13: Well, that's a break. I've been trying to locate you, too, Ted. Oh, what it's about Walter. They've got him down at City Hospital. The hospital? Then he isn't... some lug busted into his apartment tonight, and he hit him over the head. Walter says he never saw the guy before. Funny thing, nothing stolen, no sign Maxine, of it. Maxine, Maxine, did you hear?
10: Yes, Ted, I heard. Everything's all right now.
13: Well... No. Um, how about coming out of the hospital with me, Ted? Walter wants to see you. Keeps asking about you. Something about uh, investing in a newspaper. <laughs>
11: let that whistle be your signal for the signal oil program the Whistler each Sunday night at the same time brought to you by the signal oil company marketers of signal gasoline and motor oil and fine quality automotive accessories during the current Red cross drive signal oil company has asked me to remind you it's the little contributions each one of us make which enable the Red Cross to be of such big help in time of need <laughs> Featured in tonight's story were Rye Billsbury, Doris Singleton, and Joseph Kearns. The Whistler was produced by George W. Allen and directed by Gordon T. Hughes, with story by Harold Swanton and music by Wilbur Hatch, and was transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. All characters portrayed on the Whistler program are fictional. Any similarity of names or resemblance to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Remember, at the same time next Sunday, another strange tale by The Whistler. Marvin Miller speaking... This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: That's the show for this week. I hope you enjoyed our selections this time. You can, of course, find more from The Saint, The Whistler, The Relic Radio Show, and everything else relic radio at relicradio.com, appropriately enough. Thousands of full time radio episodes to listen to there thanks to your support. If you'd like to help out, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on the link on the website. Can't do it without you. Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me today. Be back next Tuesday with another episode
4: of the Relic Radio Show.